All right, let's turn our Bibles, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read a verse, then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Read a few verses here to get us started tonight. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Notice, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Turn over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Go over to chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 5. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Go over to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 1. To start out, I'm just looking at verses here. The Apostle Paul knew something. What he knew was he knew the will of God. And that's what he did. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He knew what he was. He knew how he was what he was. And he did what he did in spite of all that it cost him in service and suffering. Because the will of God was the most important thing. I believe the reality is that there are very, very few people that have even given any consideration to what the will of God is for their life. What's the will of God for you? Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that you would end up being a preacher or that you would end up being a missionary off in a foreign land, but... The will of God, since we were created to please God, to do His will, no matter what it is, is the highest, the highest thing you can do in life. The will of God. Be a godly layman, be a godly servant in a, in a local church. And by the way, I don't believe anybody's doing the will of God just sitting at home. We weren't saved to just sit at home. Some people seem to think that salvation by grace means you don't have to do anything. Well, you don't have to do anything to stay saved, but your desire ought to be to do the will of God. That ought to be first in every decision to make. Why am I in church every Sunday unless I am super sick? Why am I in church every Sunday, every service? We go on vacation. We're in church every service. Why do we make sure that we do that? Because I know it would not be the will of God for me not to be there. I know the will of God. I know the will of God about my home. And how do you know that? Well, I know that from the scripture. You realize that that term will of God appears 23 times in your New Testament. Now, you'd think something mentioned that often. We would be far more familiar with the will of God. The, Jesus said himself in John chapter 4... He said, my meat 
is to do the will of him that sent me. The thing he was most concerned about was doing the will of God. As a matter of fact, you remember when he's in the garden and he prayed the prayer, uh, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. The will of the Father was the most important thing to him. We ought to desire to do the will of God for our life. That's, that's where we ought to be at. Not many Christians are. Most Christians are willing to give God part of their time, part of their life, but very few are totally sold out to him as what's the will of God. For instance, what is the will of God that you do, with what you do with your life? Young people, have you figured that out? What's the will of God? You say, well, I haven't figured that out yet. Okay, keep praying, but find the will of God for your life and do it. I don't believe that God would, the will of God for anybody would be to get rich so that you could live in a big house. Not that it'd be wrong to have a big house, but that's not the purpose of life, to live in a big house. Solomon found that out. All you have to do is read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. His testimony was he wasted his life. It's not about the one who with the most toys wins at the end. That's not it at all. It has to do with what is the will of God for your life. Now, I... I I have a few pet peeves. I know you don't really think I have all that many. I think I'm up to 1,385 pet peeves. But I was talking with the director of a big mission board that's been around for some time, and he's been doing the will of God for a long time. Matter of fact, he's 87 years old, the guys that I talked to today, and had some questions about a particular missionary. And one of the conclusions that we came to was that most missionaries, not all, but most missionaries today do not look at missions at all like their predecessors did. Like those 50 years ago, like those even 100 years ago, there's not that commitment to that. They're willing to go to a place for a while and come home. As a matter of fact, uh, we have one missionary that... uh, Normally, they spend about two years to three years on deputation, somewhere around there. Normally, that's the case. And then they get to the field. Well, the first, year, first term on the field is learning on the field what being a missionary is. You can learn a lot of things in Bible college, but you don't really have a clue what it is until you get there. And that's where you begin to lay the groundwork so you can serve the Lord for a long time on the mission field. And so here's... A missionary family, they spend two to three years spending thousands of dollars, traveling thousands of miles, spending a lot of that time to get to the place where they told the churches, this is the will of God for our life. And then after one term on the field, they come home and say, God would have us go do something else now. They didn't tell the churches that when they were out. They thought they knew the will of God. Matter of fact, I'm finding more and more preachers and missionaries who really don't have a clue what the will of God is or how to find the will of God. And some preachers get a little brash about it, and I, it, it, that would be another pet peeve. I hate it when a preacher says, well, God told me to say that. Well, I think God gets blamed for a lot of things he didn't have anything to do with. If God really told you to say it, write it down because it's Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? You may have felt led to say it, but that, that you realize you might have messed up. You better be careful, especially how you said it and what you said. I, that, that's why I don't say, well, God told me to be rude. Now, 
I, I felt led to be rude. That may be so, but I'm not going to blame that on God. That might just be me. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to the will of God, what comes to your mind about the will of God for your life? Overall and day to day, the will of God. You're going to do the will of God. Are you going to do the will of God tomorrow? Have you even thought about the will of God for tomorrow? Did you give any thought about what the will of God for today was? To be done. That ought to be our desire because we were created, according to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, we were created to please Him. We weren't created to please us. We were created to please Him. When some think of the will of God, they think of something mysterious, just can't be known by man. Some think that it's something that is right, but they have no idea how to find it, how to know it for sure, or anything like that. Some think of it as being a particular location, that that's the will of God. Some have absolutely no idea what it is and really don't care to know. They just figure, they just kind of go through life, that'll be God's will. And that'll be the end of it. And they're the ones who miss it entirely. After all, when you think about the will of God, well, there are some things we know are the will of God. Uh, like, for instance, we were created for his pleasure. So the will of God, if I please him, I know I've done the will of God. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I know it's God's will for everybody to get saved. Do you realize for every lost person, one thing I know about them, it's God's will that they get saved. But God doesn't make people get saved. It has to be a free choice. He's not forcing himself on you. If you're lost, somebody watching over the Internet right now, and you're lost, don't try to blame God. Don't get a Calvinist belief that, well, evidently God didn't elect me, so I can't get saved. No, God wants everybody to be saved. Jesus Christ is the light. He lighteth every man that cometh into the world, John chapter 1. And Jesus said, when I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And by the way, he has been lifted up. He was put on the cross and he draws all men to him. So if a person dies lost, he wants them to be saved. That's God's will, always. Something else that's God's will, obedience. Obedience to God's word. For instance... The first thing Jesus commands for a person to do after they get saved is to be baptized. That's the first thing. He told the disciples, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And that word teach has the idea of making disciples, making followers. Uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, when Peter went out and preached, for instance, on the day of Pentecost when he preached, 3,000 believed and 3,000 were baptized on that day. Why? It's God's will. It's God's will for every believer to be baptized. Over in Acts chapter 10, when Peter wins the household of Cornelius to Christ, the Bible says of Peter, and he commanded him, Cornelius, to be baptized. He commanded him. He didn't ask him to pray about it. There was no need to pray about it. He commanded him to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus commanded the disciples when they went out and made them followers that they baptize him. It's not a matter of praying, well, I, I got to feel led of the Lord. No, man, if you're saved, you get baptized. This doesn't have to be hard. I know we're in Huntsville. This is not rocket science. This is simple. 
It's simple because everybody in the world is not a rocket scientist. And God wrote the book for us all. Easy to understand. I mean, he meant it for those farmers living out back in the, back in the 1300s who were farming their little farm out there over in Europe someplace. God made the book for them. And he expected them to understand it and obey it. Matter of fact, a lot of these theologically degreed professors only confuse everybody because they got everybody believing it doesn't mean what it says. If you do his will, you will have the most useful life for eternity that you can have. The highest calling of every person is to do the will of God. Let me give you some truths about the will of God, first of all, and I've shared these with you before, but we need to be reminded of them, all right? Number one, Colossians chapter one and verse nine tells us you can know his will. We don't have time to turn to them all, so bear with me. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, he's writing to the church at Colossae. And he says, I'm praying for you that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so you can be filled with the knowledge of his will. Colossians 4 and verse 12. You can stand in it, for he says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You don't have to backtrack from it. You can stand in it. The knowledge of the will of God has allowed many to face death victoriously. This has got to be the softest group of Christians that God's ever had since Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. Somehow we think as Christians today that we should never have a hard time. We should never have to face pain. We should never have tragedy. And we get mad at God when we face any of those things in any degree. Whereas other Christians have gone through those things, praising God for going through the valley of the shadow of death with them. And when God wouldn't answer Paul's prayer about removing that thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, I really believe this has got to be the softest group of Christians that God's had throughout the church age. We're babies. We cry, we whine about everything instead of rejoicing in the goodness and greatness of our God. The knowledge of his will allows many to stay strong while others are doubting. When trials come, and they will, in the center of God's will. By the way, trials come in the center of God's will. Trials come in the center of God's will. I've heard people say, well, you know, I thought that's what God's wanted me to do, but I've had nothing but trouble since I've done it. Well, guess what? If you're in the center of God's will, the devil doesn't like that. He doesn't want you in God's will. He wants you out of God's will. You make a decision and you have problems for it. That might be the sign that you're in the very middle of God's will. You 
understand you don't question God's will just because you're having a hard time. You want to see a hard time? We don't have time to read it tonight. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, that's a list of nothing but hard times in the life of the apostle Paul. But it was worth it because he knew God's will. That took him through it. According to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, And I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can know that. You can prove it, that it's God's will for your life. Of course, that's always going to be according to his word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You can understand it. So again, it's the idea of knowing his will. What does not make sense to the world makes sense to the child of God in the center of his will. When God called me to preach, I mean... You know, from the very day God called me to preach, that last Sunday in January 1974, I think it was January 27th, but I could be mistaken about the date, but I know it was the last Sunday in January 1974, I have never doubted from that day to this that God called me to preach. I mean, there's not been a time I said, Lord, matter of fact, it's that knowledge that that is his will that's kept me going when I wanted to quit. I knew it was God's will. I used to think, I used to think that if I ever just quit preaching, that God would just kill me. And then I began to realize a little bit later in life that, you know, no, if, uh, I, if I just quit, God would let me go ahead and live and see the impact that would have on my children and grandchildren, and that would be far worse. I know what he's called me to do. I just, I've never had a doubt about that. Our missionaries, is it God's will? Is it God's will? Where, where did God want them? Well, he tells us how to find that out, and I'll share those verses in just a little bit. But they have to determine God's will. By the way, may I say this about going as a missionary or even a particular ministry? A burden is not a call. I'm burdened about every place. Every mission, every mission conference we have, and we show their, their video presentation. I can't call them slides anymore. We show their video presentation, and we hear their desire to win those people. And I look at those people that are in those pictures, and I have a burden for them. But that's not a call to go there. I mean, you ought to have a burden for lost people anywhere. Amen. Every place. But understand a burden is not a call. So I'm really burdened for those people. I want to help them. Well, you might be able to help them, but you make sure you've got a call from God. We'll be talking about how, how you can know that a little bit later. By the way, the will of God involves doing. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. This is not a drudgery. If you love God, I can't imagine not wanting to do his will. If you love God, that ought to be the main thing about your life. 
doing the will of God. Hebrews 10, 36, after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Hebrews 13, 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. 1 John 2, 17, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doing takes time. Once you get that about the will of God, it takes time. God giving you a talent like singing. This really, every Sunday morning, this choir loft ought to be full. We got people that can hit notes. You know why they, they, don't, they don't want to take the time? Well, if I do that, then they're going to expect me to be in practice on Sunday night. And man, you know how grueling that is from 445 to 530. I mean, serving God for 45 minutes to get ready to sing in the choir. Shame on us. How selfish we have become. Well, it's Sunday. Yeah, Sunday's the Lord's day. And I'm not saying this for you to feel sorry for me to say, man, you must have been a super Christian. But, you know, when I started the Spanish services, first, I only had two guys and we met during Sunday school class. For those of you who were around back then, you may remember we were having two services on Sunday morning at that time. Matter of fact, we went for a while, a service, Sunday school, Sunday school, and then service. I think it was about 7 o'clock in the morning when we had the first service. I preached then, preached the next service, and I taught in one, not both of the Sunday school hours. And then since we moved, I moved the Spanish service to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was, it was one service, and I moved it to then. We had, well, I started out with about three to five people coming, and then we went up to 10, then we went up to 20. We finally got up to where we were running about 45 when I brought the Puente in. But what I would do at that time, there were not many Hispanics in the area. And a lot of the Hispanics lived over around Tanner and south of uh, Athens in that area. And so what I would do was I would preach at 7 o'clock and then I would, uh, I, I didn't participate in the first Sunday school. I taught in the second Sunday school. Then I preached in the main hour. And then I got in the van. I drove over to Tanner uh, Brother Tony Giannoni and I had visited, we'd visit all around that area, trying to meet Hispanics, trying to get them to come, and I'd pick them up on the van to get here by 2 o'clock, not here, but it was over in the other building, to get there by 2 o'clock, and I would have a service in Spanish. And then when we got done, it'd last about an hour, 15 minutes, something like that. We'd sing songs, we got Spanish hymn books and all that. And, um, and then when that service is over, I'd get back in the van and I'd take those that I'd picked up back over to Tanner and I would get back here about 4.30. And then I had the evening service and then whatever meetings I had to have with different ones after that. Now, I don't think that made me super Christian, just, just reasonable service. It's the Lord's Day. I had preachers say to me, preacher, how do you do that? I mean, man, just preaching twice on Sunday at Knox Mass, it's the Lord's Day. Sunday's the Lord's Day. It's His. That's why I really don't have any truck for any pastor who cancels services on Christmas Sunday. Sunday's the Lord's Day. Christmas doesn't change what Sunday is. It's still the Lord's Day. I know the will of God on the Lord's day. Will of God is to be in the house of God on the Lord's day. Well, but Christmas is a family day. Sunday is the Lord's day. 
Have your family day on Monday. This isn't hard. But you see, we have so, we have so um, trying to play down the Lord's part of the Lord's part of Christmas. Can you imagine that? I mean, how hypocritical can you be to play down the Lord's part in Christmas? Isn't it about him? Well, where would we be then? In the Lord's house on the Lord's day. So that's simple enough. Well, amen. Let me move on because I could get hung up there for a long time. It may involve suffering. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, I want you to see our example, because this is the key about the will of God. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Our example, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. Now, notice the point. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about suffering Uh, Notice beginning in verse 19, he says, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when we be buffeted for your faults, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls." Now, we are tempted to stop right there because we have divided the Bible up into chapters and somebody put a chapter division right there. But that's not the end of what he's talking about. He just talked about Christ's suffering. He talked about suffering righteously and Christ is our example. He suffered for righteousness. He didn't do wrong. When he was threatened, he threatened not. Now, notice he says, likewise, ye wives... Well, I don't think God wants me to be unhappy all my life. I'm going to get a divorce because God doesn't want me to be unhappy. You've got a commitment. You're a wife. God doesn't want you disobedient all your life. Be a godly wife. Well, if you only knew the man I married. I didn't say I do to him. Don't give me that. That doesn't work. Now... <laughs> I know I'm hitting some people's pet peeves right now. He said, well, it's one of mine you talking about that. But then notice verse 7. Verse 7 says, likewise, ye husbands. I mean, sometimes, man, you know, there's a reason why when we do the original marriage ceremonies, we say for better, for worse. Now, that's the vow we make, but we don't mean it. We only mean for better. And sometimes it's for worse. You lied to God. If you're not willing to go through the worst, you lied to God. Take it out of your marriage vows. You didn't mean it. You'd be better off not to make that pledge at all than to lie to God 
Christ is our example. It's tough to go through some things in marriage. It's tough to go through, through some things in other ways as well in dealing with people. But Christ is our example. In Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you, that same mind that was in Christ Jesus. John chapter 4, verses 30 through 34, he said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. More important than eating was reaching the lost and the despised to do God's will. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He did works and the people got mad at him. They cursed him. They threatened him. They wanted him dead. But he did God's will. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You see, our example came to do God's will. Have this mind in you. That needs to be you having that mind in you, that mind of Christ. That's God's will. In Luke 22, 42, he prayed in the garden saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. His desire to do the Father's will brought salvation to each one of us. And thank God he didn't turn aside. Our hope of heaven depended on him going through all the agony and torment of the cross. Every bit of it. So, what is your purpose for living? Is it the will of God? Is it the will of God? It involves time. Jesus left heaven. Time away from the Father. Time away from real paradise. It will mean time away from things that you like to serve God. I had to decide in being a pastor, there was just a lot of time that I couldn't be home. So I tried to make the times that I was home count. Serving the Lord took a lot of time. It's seven days a week. 24 hours a day. I mean, you get calls in the middle of the night. You go and you help people, hospitals, other things. You, you, you do what you need to do because you've made a commitment. Now you say, are you saying your family's not important? No, my family's very important. I lose my family. I've lost my ministry. I need my family. But it's interesting. The family doesn't come first. Jesus comes first. And my family needed to see that Jesus came first in our lives. So it it, it wasn't about parties. It wasn't about the beach. It wasn't about spending time just having fun. We had fun. But it was about serving the Lord. Number one. 
My wife can tell you there, been, there were a lot of weeks that, uh, in the last 40-some years that have been 80-hour weeks to 100-hour weeks. Been a number of them. And I, listen, that doesn't make me special at all. I just think that makes me a reasonable Christian. That's it from uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. God is first. Not only that, it involves you, and I want you to get this, and your body. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I've heard people say, well, I'll be with you in spirit, preacher. And I said, leave your spook at home. I don't need it at the church. We got enough spooky things at church. If you're not going to bring your body, stay at the house. I mean, really? But that's how people want to serve God. They, they want <laughs> there are missionaries today. Do you realize there are missionaries today? They've surrendered to the mission field. I, I got this letter from this one. I couldn't believe it. He wanted to come in and present his work. He wanted to train Filipino, Filipino pastors over Skype. What is that, Brother Nelson? Never heard of such a thing. What kind of nonsense is that? Well, look at all the things we can do. I tell you, the emphasis in Scripture wasn't on that, wasn't on wires and wireless and stuff like that. It was on individual contact with people. It's another one of my pet peeves. It involves work, Mark 3.35, for whosoever should do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Number four, it involves obedience to the word of God. Jesus said, if you do my word, you shall know the doctrine. Now, I'm not saying it right. I need to say it right. Let me go over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 17. If any man will do his will. He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Ecclesiastes 12, beginning in verse 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I'm sorry, that's verse 13. Verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Not only that, it involves others. John chapter 21, Jesus finds the disciples out fishing, including Peter. Peter swims to shore, you'll remember, when he finds out it's the Lord that's calling him. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, uh, I love you, Lord. Jesus' response to that was, feed my sheep. If you love me, do something. Feed my sheep. So then, I mean, he's out catching fish. He's been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. He's out catching fish. He had a job to do. Do you love me, Peter? Oh, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. We got a lot of people. Oh, we love Jesus. Clap your hands if you love Jesus. Wave your hands if you love Jesus. But they don't do anything for anybody. Says to him the third time, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do something. Are you doing the will of God for your life? Do you know the will of God for your life? Not only that, it's a privilege to do the will of God. It is a privilege it's reasonable service, according to Romans 12.1, Hebrews 12.28, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, 
Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I love the verse, I'd rather be a doorkeeper of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I think it ought to be a joy to be an usher at the door. It ought to be a a joy to be an usher in the auditorium. It ought to be a joy to clean the halls. It ought to be a joy to pick up trash. I really don't think I could take it to just be a come to church, sit down, listen, go home. I don't think I could be happy with myself. Because I know the Lord and what he did for me means so much more to me than that. He deserves my life. That's what he deserves. It's a privilege. Why do we need grace to serve him according to that verse in Hebrews 12, 28? Because we don't deserve the privilege of serving him. The fact that he gives us that privilege ought to just make us that much more excited that here's God who saved me a sinner deserving hell. He took me, he gave me life, he made me a child of God, and now he gives me the privilege of serving him. That's phenomenal. It's a privilege to open the doors of the church. It's a privilege to work in the bus ministry. It's a privilege to teach in a Christian school. It's a privilege to be able to win others to Christ. It's a privilege to serve him in any way possible. It is a privilege. Now, there are two sides to all the ministries that we have here at Madison Baptist Church. One is the job of the church is to reach the lost. That's the goal of the church, but it's not the only goal, but to give God's people an opportunity to serve him. Heard a famous preacher say years ago, and I thought he was exactly right. Never use the people to build the ministry. Use the ministry to build the people. And I think that's key. I personally think my biggest failing as a pastor is that I've tried to make it easy for people to serve the Lord. Jesus never did that. Jesus never made. Just read about being a disciple. John chapter, or Luke chapter 14. Except a man hate his father and mother and brothers and sisters. And his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. He made it tough to serve the Lord. I've tried to make it easy for people to serve the Lord. And maybe that's why so many don't. Made it too easy. Do we need to make it harder? Would we feel like we were really doing something special if we made it harder? Now you're getting quiet on me. You're thinking. That's all right. Think. Matter of fact, you can get mad at me. That's fine. I got mad at me while I was thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we don't make people serve him here. You can serve him if you want. And if you don't want to, fine. You can, you know, sit and listen. And today, you don't even have to come and sit and listen. You can do absolutely nothing. Just stay at home, watch it on TV. Basically, that part of the ministry is for those who can't come and be in the house of God. But that, anyway, that's another pet peeve, isn't it? God doesn't make you serve him. God doesn't make me serve him. I want to serve him. I want my life to count for him. I don't want to waste my time on this planet i don't be one of, i don't want to be one of those that you know like a pebble you drop it into the ocean 
And that's the total impact that we had on the world that we were here. Created a couple ripples for a little while, and that was it. We get to do an eternal work because we're dealing with the souls of men and women and boys and girls. The truth is, at Madison Baptist Church, we have enough people to do everything and more than what we do and do it well and do it right. Now, I'm not the one who came up with this statistic. I don't know that it's true or not. But they say, you know who they are. They're all over the Internet. They say that 90% of the people do 10% of the work. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. If you could just get that 90% only doing 10% and have each of them just up their game a little bit, it's amazing how good we could go. Now, are you living in the will of God? Well, how do you know for sure what the will of God is for your life? Well, we know obedience to the word of God. That's the will of God for every Christian's life, to obey him. But what about those things where God doesn't tell you? Like, for instance, there is no Bible verse that says, Mike Allison be pastor at Madison Baptist Church. There's no Bible verse that says that. So how do I know that this is where I was supposed to be for right now? Now, I pastored at Tennessee Ridge. I pastored at Manchester. How did I know to come to Madison, Alabama? Because the truth is, back then in 1989, I didn't want to come to Madison, Alabama. I was pastoring Temple Baptist Church. Probably at least two-thirds of the people that were attending there were people who had we had reached one way or another. Either they were just unchurched or they were lost and they got saved. And we were running about 400 in Sunday school in a small town of 650, uh, I'm sorry, uh, about, was, it wasn't 6,000 people. Uh, 2,500 people, I think is what it was, in Manchester at that time. I don't know how many they have today. But, uh, man, we were having a great time. We loved it. We had people surrender to the ministry. had a number of things to take place. And then I got a call from Brother Larry Nelson, he and uh, Pastor Russell Davis and Vince DeRego, they were the pulpit committee. And they called me up and they said, uh, could we talk to you about maybe coming down here to pastor at Madison Baptist Church? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm real happy with where I'm at, something like that. At least the way I remember it. You can tell them the way you remember it. And uh, that's fine. And they said, well... We, what we want to do, let us meet you. There was a steakhouse. There was a restaurant that had really good steaks for only four ninety five, up in Fayetteville, Tennessee. And is that the name of it, Fayetteville? Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, hey, you can talk to me over a steak. That's fine. So we met at that restaurant. I told them that you know, all right, I'll come down and preach, but I'm not going to preach on a Sunday because I'm not going to scare the people up here half to death that their pastor may be leaving. Uh, but I'll come down. I preached on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And after the services each night, uh, people ask questions of me. And I have to confess, I preached extra hard because I didn't even want to have to make a decision. I didn't want them to call me. Well, Stallings, you were there at that time, weren't you? And um, so I'm not going to say I was mean. I don't think I was mean, but but I, it was hard. It was hard preaching. And then the next Sunday night, Brother Nelson called me and said, 
they voted to call you to preach. Now, I know some pastors that won't come if they don't get a 100% vote. And I'm not sure of the number, but I think it, it required a 75% vote. And I think I got 76%. It, it might have been 82%. Yeah, it, I know it wasn't over 90%, though. I can tell you who voted against me, too, because they told me later. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, it didn't matter. We didn't call for a recount or anything. And, uh, and what, I told, what I told Brother Nelson was, uh, I need two weeks to pray. I'll let you know in two weeks. But I've got to have two weeks to pray. So I, I, even though I, I didn't want to go, if this is God's will, then this is where I needed to be. And so I started praying. And one of the things that I decided I would do is every time I would change from where I was at doing something to go someplace else, I'd ask God, God, do you want me in Madison, Alabama? Now, he called me on Sunday night, Tuesday morning of that week. I was in my office and it was time for me to go over to the post office in Manchester to get the church mail. And so I got up out of my seat. I went to the Went to the door. My car was parked right outside my office door. And I said to the Lord, as I was going out the door, I said, Lord, do you want me in Madison, Alabama? I did not hear a voice. But it was just so clear to me. It was like the Lord was saying, you know, that's exactly where I want you. Oh. I said, I didn't hear a voice, but there was that assurance in my heart. That's where he wanted me. Boy, to say goodbye to a bunch of people that you've reached in your ministry. You've been their pastor for, at that time, I've been pastor there for eight and a half years. And uh, whew, I thought, well, I, I need to pray, but I think it was that Tuesday night. It might have been Wednesday night, but I called Larry back and said, God wants me in Madison. Now, that didn't make a lot of sense, just professionally speaking, because I was pastoring in a Sunday school that ran over, well over 400, to come down to Madison Baptist Church. At that time, it was running about 150. Small church, smaller building, unpaid parking lot, two miles north of Madison. You understand, Madison was farther south than where, what it is now. It was, um, but I came. I've never had a doubt, never had a doubt. He said, when will you leave? When God tells me to go someplace else. I do not believe that a person needs peace to stay where they're at. I believe they need peace to go someplace else. I know that God called me here. He called me to preach first back in 1974. 1989, he called me here. Now, when are you going to leave? When I have peace that he wants me to do something else. Now, whatever I do, when that time comes, might be tomorrow, might be next year, might be 20 years from now. I don't think I'm going to live that long, but I'm still going to be preaching. I still plan on serving the Lord. Well, how do you know? All right, here, take notes, get this. James chapter 1, give you two verses both in James. James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 3, verse 17. Every Christian needs to know these verses if you want to know the will of God for your life. 
where God wants you. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you two other verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy, thy paths. In those two verses, there are three things we're supposed to do. One thing he will do. He says, first of all, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Second thing I'm to do is not to lean on my own understanding. I trust the Lord with all my heart. I don't lean on my own understanding. I don't reason it out. I simply, if God says it, that's just so. And then he says, after lean not unto thine own understanding, and let's see, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. In all thy ways, all thy ways, acknowledge him. Then what will he do? Then he will direct my path. Too many people are concerned about the where. God takes care of the where. You acknowledge him. You don't have to find the where. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding and acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll put you where he wants you. Now, how do you know then, whether it be Madison or whatever, or a particular ministry? Well, now we go over to chapter 3 and verse 17. Remember, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let... Oh, I didn't read that, did I? So I need to read chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So here's a promise. If you, you don't know what you should do next, and it's not something that God would have a Bible verse on like that, like where would you go and stuff like that, what your vocation would be, that kind of thing. Uh, you ask him, and he'll give it to you. Now, he gives a warning about that. He says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, so you go over to chapter 3 and verse 17. Here it is. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. It is first pure. In other words, let's say... One of our good men, and I'll not mention any names, would get a call tomorrow that the person who is the head man at the Coors Brewing Company has heard that you have great skills and you could take over one of their major plants and be a Coors vice president. And all your money, you make $5 million a year. You'd have your own car provided. You'd have your own boat provided. And you could have all the curves you wanted for the rest of your life. Well, it's not pure. You don't even have to pray about that. It's not pure. But preacher, I've got to take care of my family. Not that way you don't. It's not pure. So you don't do the things. You know, we even have in our church covenant that members of Madison Baptist Church will not drink or sell alcohol. We have that in our church covenant. Why? It's not pure. Why would a Christian do that? It's not pure. Wrong. It's wicked. So you say, but I need a job. You don't need that job. God can take care of you. It's not pure. But then notice the second one. Then peaceable. Now, you notice peaceable does not come before pure. Pure comes first. 
peaceable is second. And, and don't fudge on this. This is really important because I've had people, I've had people come to me in the last year over a couple of different things where uh, they had an offer someplace. Things just didn't seem right to me, but I said, hey, right here, you pray about it. James 1, 5, James 3, chapter, uh, 3 and verse 17. And they come to me and think, well, preacher, I think I'm going to take the job. Okay, you got peace about it. Well, I'm still troubled. No, you missed the whole point. If you're still troubled, you don't take it. You get that? If you're still troubled, you don't take it. It's first pure, then peaceable. Now, even if it is peaceable, you still got some other qualifications here. He says, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, if it meets that, then it's wisdom from above. If it doesn't. I think every Christian ought to be able to know God's will. God's will for their vocation in life. God's will for their daily life. God's will for their, not just their job, but just what ministries they're going to get involved in. God wants you to know the pastor shouldn't have to tell you. I mean, the truth is, you know, I love you, and I know some of you are pretty good, and know some of you are not quite as good as far as, you know, ins and outs, daily things in your life. But probably everybody here has got some things in their life I don't know anything about. I mean, is there anybody here that's told me everything about you? So I don't know everything. I know that's a shock to some. <laughs> Are you wanting to live in the will of God? That should be the desire of every Christian, to please him. If we do that, then we're going to make ourselves useful. Ah, for instance, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, the scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, you don't have to have a special title for that. You can come to church and exhort one another. Go up to people, talk to them. How you doing? Been praying for you. Anything I can pray about in your life? And just be an encouragement to them. I tell you, just attending church encourages other people to attend church. I, I, I know all of our missionaries have experienced this. There are churches all over America today that during a midweek service, during a Sunday night service, during revival services, their churches aren't even half full. They've got a whole lot of members that aren't there. Why? Those members don't care one bit about the other members of that church. And those very ones sitting at home and never coming, they're the ones that know every problem there is in the church. And what they don't realize, though, is that they're the biggest problem because they won't even allow their attendance to be an encouragement to somebody else. I'm not opinionated. I'm just right. (laughs) The will of God. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to be. And I want to be in the will of God until I die. And that ought to be everyone's desire that's saved, to be in the will of God. It's up to you, though. He won't make you. But that's where he wants you to. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name.
God, somehow, some way, I pray that you would create in us a desire to do your will. And even praying that way, I know you'll not make us do your will. But oh, that we'd be a people who long to please you in everything. Blessing the invitation tonight, I pray, where there be that sweet surrender of hearts tonight. For I ask it in Jesus' name.